Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 20, how God caused Abraham to constantly be uprooted, move, and search because Abraham was looking for a city that God has designed and built for him. This message is available for free download and free listening at friendshipwithgod.org and also available at itunes.com. Now, do you have a friend or family member or someone that you know that's Jewish or Gentile that needs to be reached with the gospel? Well, Tom Cantor has his life story in a book, a small booklet, and also on DVD that will help you to be able to witness to your lost Jewish or Gentile friends. Now, to obtain a copy of this, you can call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 3051. You can also order copies by going to friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Let Tom Cantor help you to be able to witness to your lost Jewish or Gentile friends. So call us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. That's 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org and order online. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us today about Lot and his betrayal to his family and his friends and how Lot was guilty of the sin of not caring for the lost. See, first, Abraham knew foremost that God the judge would do right. Whatever he did, it was going to be right. What God had done with these cities was right. And Abraham had peace over that. And the second thing he knew, Abraham knew, is that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. So Abraham knew that Lot believed God like Abraham did, like Abraham had showed him and taught him and Lot had followed through. And Abraham knew that because Lot believed God, Abraham knew that because Abraham believed God, that God wove it into him for righteousness. So Abraham knew that because Lot believed God, that God wove it into Lot for righteousness. And so Abraham has this assurance that Lot is okay. I don't know the details. He's not going to be slain with the wicked. And even though all Abraham could see in this verse 28 was smoke, that's all it says he saw there, which is smoke, smoke, everywhere smoke. Abraham knew that his time, the time that he had invested in the chapter before, in chapter 18, was not in vain because Abraham knew he had been heard by God. And it'd be some time before Abraham would learn all the details. But that morning when Abraham looked out, verse 28, over this and saw all this smoke, 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 that Abraham saw with his eyes his smoke, but he knew in his heart that God had remembered him. We could just freeze that scene in our minds. The scene of Abraham looking out over this plain and seeing this great smoke, which on the surface spells catastrophe for Lot. That's what it looks like. Catastrophe for Lot. And yet, as he's looking out over this plain, we can see in Abraham's face this peace, this assurance, as he knows God is going to do right. He's going to deliver Lot. That's going to be a repeating theme for Abraham. When Abraham will get up again very early in the morning in Genesis 22, he'll cut wood for what purpose? To burn his son up with. But cutting the wood to burn up his son looks like an absolute total catastrophe for Isaac. Like the smoke looked like an absolute total catastrophe for Lot. But his face, again, Peace, assurance, 
because he doesn't understand the details, but he knows that God's going to do right. He's going to deliver. The same chapter, chapter 22, when he ends up raising his knife above Isaac to kill him, and the knife over Isaac looks like a total catastrophe for Isaac, again, on Abraham's face. There's peace, there's assurance, because he knows the same two things. God's going to do right. God's going to deliver Isaac. So in verse 28, when Abraham looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah, he sees all this smoke. He has this look on his face of peace and assurance. It's going to be a long time before he gets together with, we don't know how long, with Lot and finds out all the details. And then they'll just praise the Lord for his faithfulness. And the question is, for us, can we be like Abraham? Can we be like Abraham when we are looking at what looks like an absolute catastrophe? Can we get that blessed assurance and that peace that Abraham has just to know that God's going to do it right and God's going to deliver? You know, it reminds me, maybe I told you this before, it reminds me of the telegram from the Jewish son to the Jewish mother. Did I tell you that before, the telegram from the Jewish son? Do you remember that? Start worrying, details to follow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) when we see what looks like a catastrophe god sends his telegram to us that says start praising details to follow and as abraham walked away from that side of the cities on fire for abraham abraham started praising knowing that the details would follow and can you imagine when lot found abraham and there was such a reunion and the hug the bear hug the tight squeeze uh, the, he says, now, he says, sit down and tell me the details of how God delivered you, Lot. Well, you know what that's going to be like? That's heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be like lots of bear hugs, tight squeezes, and now sit down and tell me the details of how God delivered you in your life. Now, there's something else very significant about these verses, 27, 28. See, it says here that it was early in the morning and he looked there towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it says in verse 24 that God rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. See, the men in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, they went to sleep that night, probably very peacefully, looking forward to just a good night's sleep. Some of them had a little eyesight trouble. Maybe they had some trouble finding the bed. But apart from then, everybody else was looking forward to a good night's sleep. It was during that night when all was calm and all was quiet that the judgment of God just fell like a boom out of heaven and they found themselves in the fire of God's wrath. They had no idea when they went to sleep that that was going to be their last night on earth. They didn't know. When the Lord said to the man who was building all the barns, he said, thou fool, this night, he didn't know, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. See, their judgment came as just a total surprise, as it says in Hebrews 10.31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, like the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. It was in the middle of the night. So, you know, you may remember the traveling thing that came here to Balboa Park, and if you go over there by Naples, you go to see the museum, where they have excavated people still in their beds, and that dog, you know, his famous dog was trapped with the lava. All right, so now, come to verse 1, chapter 20. So where do we find Abraham? Abraham is living in Hebron, where he sees these cities that are on fire. And now we see in verse 1 here that Abraham is pulling up his tent stakes again and is making his way toward the south, literally the Negev, literally the place of the midday. 
And so that's what we see. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and sojourned in Gerar. We don't know why Abraham decided to leave. Got some ideas. Maybe that place became a little contaminated. You know, maybe there's a lot of soot all over the place, like the fires we've experienced here. And there was smoke. I don't know. The area today where Sodom is, or was, it still stands as a monument for judgment that God rained down brimstone for heaven because in that place, potash is mined. It's a business, mining the potash. Jewish people are very good at finding a business in anything, even the brimstone that rained down from heaven. Whatever the reason was, Abraham decided to move away, and he goes toward the south. Down the center of the south of Israel, as he's moving down there, there are mountains. As Abraham moves toward the south, then on his right hand toward the west, the land just sort of sinks to a plain. And on the left, toward the east, the land then falls down into the Jordan Valley and then into the Dead Sea, right? They're about the middle of the Dead Sea over toward the west. You know what he's on the road toward? Egypt. He's on that road that he was on before. He's on the way towards Egypt when it says in verse 20 that he journeyed from thence toward the south country. So he's traveling down the south country, and this brings this thought back to Abraham's mind of Egypt. And when we read in verse 1, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, we can picture Abraham. He's pulling up the stakes. He's moving his whole entourage of all those tents and all those servants and the camels and the goats and the sheep and the donkeys. And it was a big deal. And after all this, you look at Abraham and, you know, you're kind of amazed when you see this happening in Abraham's life when he goes through these moving. I mean, it was kind of comfortable in Hebron. It was comfortable. In Hebron, Abraham knew the people. The people knew him. So in terms of coexisting with the people, it was all copacetic. Abraham was comfortable. Abraham had found, finally, some grazing land for all of his livestock. So in terms of providing for the needs of all the people that he was responsible for, Abraham was comfortable. It was comfortable there in Hebron. In Hebron, Abraham had a favorite place that we read about, the place where he called, the place where he stood before the Lord. That was his favorite place, because that was the place that had the great memories where he and God met, they talked together. That was the place where Abraham had his daily routine, you know. We can sort of see Abraham, you know, to, now I do this, now I do that, this is here, that's there, everything is the way it should be, it's wonderful. And in Hebron, Abraham had become settled. He had a routine. He felt at ease. There. So when we read in verse 1, Abraham journeyed for thence toward the south country, that's very upsetting. That's upsetting for Abraham. Abraham's leaving the land he knows. Abraham's leaving the people he knows. Abraham's leaving the field he knows. He's leaving his meeting place with God he knows. He's leaving his routine he knows, and he's going to where he doesn't know. So to leave all this for Abraham is very upsetting. It really brings the whole vision of the word upset. You know, things are turned upside down. It's not easy for Abraham. You ever been uprooted? You ever had to do this? Anyway, I wanted to leave the ranch, but apart from that. All right, so one day, everything seems so stable for Abraham. Everything seems so rooted, and the next day, upside down. It's like my friend, the Jewish doctor, who just a few months ago spoke to his sister. They were celebrating Hanukkah with his family in La Jolla. And then two months later, he gets terrible headaches. He loses his balance. He passed out. He's diagnosed with a very aggressive brain cancer, not working. Overnight, overnight, his whole life is turned upside down. 
So we see in verse 1 how upsetting it was for Abraham to leave Hebron, to journey towards the south. This is not the first time in Abraham's life that he's had to pull up stakes, left all he knew, and journey to the unknown. It's a pattern in Abraham's life. We see Abraham. He finds a nice place to live. He settles in. He puts everything in place. And then he's moving. Very upsetting. This is the pattern in his life. And it's described. You might want to turn to this in Hebrews 11, verses 9 through 10, verses that we have looked at before, we're very familiar with. But it's very interesting how it describes Abraham here, where it says, by faith, it starts off that way, because that's Hebrews 11. By faith, he, that's referring to Abraham, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him with the same promise, for he looked for a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is God. The Greek word here for sojourn also has this meaning to live as a stranger and a foreigner, and we get that sense as it describes in that verse that he was living as in a strange country. So to further emphasize how upsetting this pattern was, he's going from one to place, it tells here that he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So from the time God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, we see Abraham on this pattern of being uprooted and leaving friends and family, country. He's going from Ur, then he settles in Haran, and then he's up from Haran, he's going to Egypt, he's up from there, he's going to Hebron, and now he's up from there again being uprooted. So the question is, all this uprooting in Abraham's life, what's he doing here? It says that what Abraham was doing in Hebrews 11.10, it says that for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and makers is God. Now, if you look at that and you say, okay, what is Abraham doing? He's looking for a city that God has designed, that God has built. He's looking for God's city. And when we first read that on the surface... Without looking at Genesis and just looking at Hebrews, we say, oh, how noble of Abraham. Oh, he's a great man. Look at that, a real man of faith. And we think to ourselves, that's why Abraham never lived in a house always in tent, because he had this great desire to look for a city, so he was uprooting, and, and that's why he moved from place to place, because he was refusing to settle down because of all the sin around him, so he kept moving and stuff like that. But the question is, Was this really Abraham's idea to do all this uprooting? Was this Abraham's idea to do all this moving? I mean, was it Abraham who said, and you just look at Hebrews and you you might say, you know what, Abraham, quite a man, because he gets up and he says, so much sin in this place, I've had it, I'm moving on. I'm deciding now to uproot the people and move to a different place and then have the sin there will get to me. I'm moving on for all my life. I'm going to move on, move on until I reach heaven. Is that the way it was? Is that the way it was? Was all this uprooting really Abraham's idea to keep himself and his family from becoming too attached to the world? Well, the answer is in our chapter in Genesis 20. Now, notice what Abraham said to Abimelech in verse 13. Genesis 20, verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness that thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he's my brother. See, Abraham told Abimelech how it really was. And he says, you want to know what my life is? Color me a wanderer. I just wander from place to place. And then what he said to Abimelech is, you know what? Since God came to me, I have lived the life of a wanderer. I'm going from place to place. As a matter of fact, 
Abraham says to Abimelech, God caused me to do this. God caused me to wander. And Abimelech's probably looking at Abraham, this big entourage and all these tents and everything, and he's probably saying to himself, why is it that you don't just settle down? Here's all the land, you can go choose what you want. And what's with all these tents? But the way that Abraham explains it to Abimelech, God caused me to wander. Abraham's making it very clear that this wandering was not Abraham's idea. (laughs) He said, believe me. So Abraham is saying to Abimelech that if it was up to him, he would not choose this type of life of wandering, but God caused him to wander from his house. You know, he's like saying, my father's house wasn't so bad. God caused me to wander from my father's house. So, and then he says in verse 13, when he's speaking to Abimelech, at every place whither we shall come. So these words, at every place. So we can hear Abraham saying, Abimelech, you don't understand, it's been from one place after another, and it's going to be one place after another. I wish I could just settle down, stop all this wandering. But we don't want to go so far as to blame God or say it's God's fault. What we're saying here is that the most important word in verse 13 is the word caused. Caused. It was God who caused Abraham to move from place to place. It was God who caused Abraham to look for a city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. It was God who caused Abraham to wander from his father's house by calling him to go. Now, it was Abraham's choice as to whether or not he would say yes or no to God, but it was not Abraham's desire to all the time be wandering. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we said to him, like Abraham did, anywhere, anytime, any place, you call it, I'll go. And when God saw that Abraham, with all of his riches, was in danger of not setting his hope and keeping his mind fixed on heaven, God caused him to wander and be uprooted. And that's the same with us. Like Abraham, we don't like to be uprooted and upset. But like Abraham, we want stability. Yes, who doesn't want stability? We want stability in our home, in our health, in our job, in our routine. But sometimes we have to say with Abraham, God caused me to wander. And he uprooted me. Why? So God would cause Abraham to look for this city, to have this heart of looking for the city with the foundations of righteousness. And so we read that Abraham chose this place now. He's between Kadesh and Shur in this place called Gerar. Gerar is between Hebron and Beersheba. It's toward the west. But the word Gerar means a lodging place or a rest for travelers. Probably because it was on the way to Egypt and a place the travelers could stop and rest. But it was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And this is now Abraham's first contact with the people called the Philistines. The Philistines are the sea people. They're the ancient sea people. They were a vicious people. They were known for being good warriors. They had five cities. By the way, the word Palestine comes from the word Philistine. So the land of Canaan, that land over there, you can refer to that land as the land of Israel, or you can refer to it as the land of Palestine. It's the same place, but to call that land Israel or Palestine has two different implications. The implications are who should possess the land. To call the land Israel is to imply that the land should be possessed by the people God gave it to, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. But to call the land Palestine is to imply that the land should be possessed by the original inhabitants, the Philistines. This all goes back to replacement theology, where the belief is is that the church has replaced Israel 
And that this is a growing movement among Christians where they no longer see the land of Israel, but now they see the land as Palestine. For example, John Piper said, and I'll quote here, the existence of Israel in the Middle East and the extent of her borders and her sovereignty are perhaps the most explosive factors in world terrorism and the most volatile factors in the Arab-West relations. Now, Abraham is moving into this area. And the Hebrew word used in verse 1 for dwell is not another word. This word is the word gur. And gur means to live as a stranger or as an alien. It doesn't have the same meaning as the other word that's used for dwell, the other Hebrew word for dwell, which is to abide or shakan, what we talked about before. That was the word that God used to describe his tabernacle in Exodus 25.8 when he said, let them make me a sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, that I may dwell, shakan, among them, which is why the, the tabernacle in Hebrew is called the mishkan, or God referring to God's dwelling place, his abiding place. But the Hebrew word used here in verse 1 is not shakan, as in abiding, settling down, being comfortable. It's the word gur. And gur means to live, as I said, as a stranger and alien. It also has behind it the meaning of fear. Because in Deuteronomy 32.27, this verse appears where it says, Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, that's the word gur, were it not that I gur, that I feared the wrath of the enemy. See, gourd has this connotation of being afraid. That's why it's used in Job 19.29, where Job says, Be ye afraid of the sword. And there's the word gur for afraid. Be ye gur, afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. So in verse 1, where it says that Abraham dwelt there, and the fact that the Hebrew word gur is used, it means that Abraham lived there as a stranger in fear. He was, a, he was afraid to be there. And this fear that Abraham had of living as a stranger in the Philistine helps us to understand why he did what he did, which is the next verse. It's been a very disturbing time for Abraham. And uh, yeah, you see, you have the peace and assurance that we spoke of, but he's like us. You know, one minute singing, what have I to fear, what have I to dread, leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, and then the next minute we're running scared, and we're not leaning on the everlasting arms, so he's not leaning on the everlasting arms. What is now happening to poor Abraham? He's just seen the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he hasn't seen Lot, and he's so upset, and now he sees this more of these God-rebellious, God-defiant people like just got destroyed, the Philistines, and he's just flat out plain afraid. And to make matters worse, he's got a beautiful wife. (laughs) Sarah's just so beautiful. I mean, she must have been. I mean, she's 89 years old, and she's just plain beautiful. You know, not many senior citizens qualify (laughs) like Sarah did, you know. But when Abraham looked at Sarah, he said in Genesis 12, 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. That's the only time in the Bible where we read Abraham knew. He said, I know. <laughs> it was over the beauty of Sarah. She was very pretty. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. You can find Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. Look for Tom Cantor there and his daily devotional that's posted there or sign up for it online at friendshipwithgod.org. 
Now, our resource for this month is Tom Cantor's 18-day Calvary CPR book. Now, CPR stands for Conversational Prayer Reading, and it's when you read a verse and respond back to God in prayer. This is what Tom Cantor calls Bible breathing, where we inhale a verse and exhale a prayer. This is Calvary CPR, or Bible breathing, and brings us closer together with God. Now, Tom Cantor's book, it's an 18-day book that you go through called Calvary CPR that'll help you draw closer to God in not only Bible reading, but prayer. It's a tremendous resource and tremendous book for a donation of $20 or more. Now, every day we should kneel at Calvary and worship both the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us there and also the Father who loved us and gave him to deliver us from our sins. Now, let me give you an example of how CPR or Bible breathing works as Tom Cantor teaches us in this book. Now, let's, for example, say we read or inhale John 19.1 where it says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Then we immediately respond or exhale in prayer and say, Thank you, Lord, for not lashing out at Pilate when he ordered you to be scourged. Thank you for not calling 10,000 legions of angels to destroy Pilate, because if you did, you would not have died for my sins. So it's inhaling the verse and exhaling a prayer of thanksgiving and thoughts back towards God. Now, the 18-day Calvary CPR book from Tom Cantor will help you to improve your Bible reading and prayer and relationship and friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ, friendship with God. Now, you can get this for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will also support Jewish evangelism in this program, staying on the air. So get the Calvary 18-day CPR book, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, to our online bookstore, friendshipwithgod.org, or 800 247 3051.